You are listening to Radio Ramadan 365 Podcasts. میرے سلے اعلیٰ کا ہے وہی غم خار عالم ہے وہی سردار امت ہے وہی غم خار وہی غم خار عالم ہے وہی سردار امت ہے سامعین ریڈیو رمضان ایٹی سیون پوائنٹ سیون ایف ایم سے پروگرام ریفلیکشنز لیے آپ کا ہوسٹ زبیر اکرم اپنے مہمان شیخ رضوان محمد کے ساتھ ہماری اسٹوڈیوز کی گھڑیوں میں گلاسکو کے مطابق وقت ہوا ہے آٹھ بج کے نو منٹ آج پانچ مئی بائیس رمضان المبارک اور کس قدر خوش قسمتی کہ ہم ان گھڑیوں میں اللہ کے نبی صلی اللہ علیہ وسلم کا ذکر سنتے سنتے ان گھڑیوں کو گزار رہے ہیں اور یہ توفیق الہی ہے کہ ہم ہمیں قسمت نے اس قابل سمجھا کہ ہم روزانہ تقریباً اسی وقت ذکر الہی اور یاد مصطفیٰ سے اپنے اس پروگرام کو شروع کرتے ہیں مولا یا صلی وسلم دائمن آبادن ریفلیکشنز ود یور ہوسٹ زبیر اکرم اینڈ مائی ہوسٹ مائی گیسٹ شیخ رضوان محمد اینڈ ان شاء اللہ ول بی لسنگ ٹو دا آیاز آف سورہ امبیا 21st surah of quran uh, we had finished the story of ibrahim والسلام, and continuing with the stories of daud suleiman uh, and lut let's, let's go for the ayahs of the day uh, its translation and then the commentary <laughs> in the name of allah the entirely merciful, the especially merciful. وَنَصَرْنَاهُ مِنَ الْقَوْمِ الَّذِينَ كَذَّبُوا بِآيَاتِنَا إِنَّهُمْ كَانُوا قَوْمَ سَوْءٍ فَأَغْرَقْنَاهُمْ أَجْمَعِينَ And we saved him from the people who denied our signs. Indeed, they were a people of evil, so we drowned them all together. وَدَاوُودَ وَسُلَيْمَانَ إِذْ يَحْكُمَانِ فِي الْحَرْثِ إِذْ نَفَشَتْ فِيهِ غَنَمُ الْقَوْمِ إِذْ نَفَشَتْ فِيهِ غَنَمُ الْقَوْمِ وَكُنَّا لِحُكْمِهِمْ شَاهِدِينَ And mention David and Solomon when they judged concerning the field, when the sheep of a people overran it at night and we were witness to their judgment. فَفَهَّمْنَاهَا سُلَيْمَانَ وَكُلًّا آتَيْنَا حُكْمًا وَعِلْمًا وَسَخَّرْنَا مَعَ دَاوُودَ الْجِبَالَ يُسَبِّحْنَ وَالطَّيْرَ وَكُنَّا فَاعِلِينَ And we gave understanding of the case to Solomon, and to each of them we gave judgment and knowledge, and we subjected the mountains to exalt us, along with David and also the birds, and we were doing that. And 
and we taught him the fashioning of coats of armor to protect you from your enemy in battle. So will you then be grateful? And to Solomon we subjected the wind, blowing forcefully, proceeding by his command toward the land which we had blessed, and we are ever, of all things, knowing. And of the devils were those who dived for him and did work other than that, and we were of them a guardian. بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم شروع اللہ کے نام سے جو بڑا مہربان نہایت رحم کرنے والا ہے اور اسی نعمت سے ہم نے داؤد اور سلیمان کو سرفراز کیا یاد کرو وہ موقع جب کہ وہ دونوں ایک کھیت کے مقدمے میں فیصلہ کر رہے تھے جس میں رات کے وقت دوسرے لوگوں کی بکریاں پھیل گئی تھیں اور ہم ان کی عدالت خود دیکھ رہے تھے اس وقت ہم نے فیصلہ صحیح فیصلہ سلیمان کو سمجھا دیا حالانکہ حکم اور علم ہم نے دونوں ہی کو عطا کیا تھا داود کے ساتھ ہم نے پہاڑوں اور پرندوں کو مسخر کر دیا تھا جو تسبیح کرتے تھے اس فیل کے کرنے والے ہم ہی تھے اور ہم نے اس کو تمہارے فائدے کے لیے زیرا بنانے کی صنعت سکھا دی تھی تاکہ تم کو ایک دوسرے کی مار سے بچائے پھر کیا تم شکر گزار ہو اور سلیمان علیہ السلام کے لیے ہم نے تیز ہوا کو مسخر کر دیا جو اس کے حکم سے اس سرزمین کی طرف چلتی تھی جس میں ہم نے برکتیں رکھی ہیں ہر چیز کا علم رکھنے والے تھے ہم ہر چیز کا علم رکھنے والے تھے اور شیاطین میں سے ہم نے ایسے بہت سوں کو اس کا تابع بنا دیا تھا جو اس کے لیے غوطے لگاتے اور اس کے سوا دوسرے کام کرتے ان سب کے نگران ہم ہی تھے صدق اللہ العظیم السلام علیکم شیخ So uh, we've just uh, listened to the same ayahs as yesterday. Uh, we did half of the section yesterday, and I think, inshallah, we're going to continue with a summary of what we did yesterday. Just, uh, if I may, maybe I can just start with a question, or well, two questions from yesterday's um, over an hour of um, tafsir. The first, um, although we did labor upon this point of why the son, not the father, is there a divine reason for that? That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in these ayahs that although we had given both of them hikmah, wisdom, but on that particular occasion in where they were uh, adjudicating, uh, we gave the son, or the younger of the two anbiya, more of an insight at that point and his judgment is what was the better of the two uh, is there a lesson for us in this and if what's that uh, so yeah we covered i think we covered the majority of what was recited just now um yesterday and um 
Yeah, I think that we didn't actually labour upon that point of seniority. Um, we assume that seniority is 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 um, of relevance here in terms of um, you know a judgment being based upon wisdom, extra knowledge, and therefore being um, you know preferred as the option to take. So, you know, if you have two people, one is has much more experience, much much more wisdom, much more knowledge. You imagine trained for much longer, um, and also is you know accredited as well. You know, in any profession, you would understand that person to be perfectly fit to be given priority. Um, but in this situation, it doesn't happen. They're both prophets. Um, they're both, um, you know, aided by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in one way or another, um, different qualities that they have. Um, but here the, the indication is that um, that God allows a deeper understanding for one rather than the other. And the interesting thing for us is that the one that's, that, that is done for is the, the younger. But not only the younger one, but also the son. And so you have a couple of... Um, fault lines here you know kind of um you know fault lines which are interesting which is the first thing is that there's this idea of youth and remember the thing about i think we, we touched upon this last year um in passing when we were talking about Dhul, um, and i i came i came up with this idea that Qarn in arabic is a word that's used for different things it's used for horns Issues for something that protrudes out of something else, like the head, you have horns. Qalan um, also in Arabic means um, epoch or generation. And so what I said last year is that Dhul Qarnayn was an amazing leader, amazing warrior, amazing statesman. But I kind of put out there the idea that the reason, one of the reasons why he was able to do that and, and able to follow that through was the fact that he brought together ge the generations that were in front of him and the generations that were much younger than him. In other words, the elders and the young. In other words, he was able to carry both the wisdom of the old and the vitality, youth and strength and vigor of the young people. And so he was the one that brought these two amazing qualities together. Um, and so what you have in this story is the wisdom of Dawud alayhi salatu wasalam, and you have the, the vigor and you would say brightness of Suleiman alayhi salatu wasalam. So in Islam, it's interesting that we don't give privilege and priority simply based upon um, this idea of seniority by per se, even though it is part and parcel of our faith. You know, um, you know the Prophet alayhi salatu wasalam used to say that minna, the person is not from us. Who doesn't um, give honor to our elderly elderly people and and does not give um, compassion and mercy to the youngest of, of our community? So, the, it, you know, both are given, um, you know, a degree of priority. Both are given a degree of um, honor. But in this context, the Prophet Ali wasalam, you know, takes a cue from stories like this in the way that he deals with um, his own community amongst amongst the people that are with him in terms of, you know, the conquest of Mecca al-Muqarramah took place, the Prophet left and he left in, in place as a governor, At-Tab al-Mu'sayyid who was at the, at the time, the age of just early 20s, I think. He remained the, the, the governor. Um, you have the case of Usama ibn Zayd ibn Haritha who was the commander of, of the final army the Prophet prepared even while he was on his deathbed, um, 
despite the remonstrations of people around him, he allowed this person, this young young man of under twenty, to lead an army of all the great companions. And so, what you see in the life of the Prophet ﷺ is that he didn't assume that because you were older and an older statesman, that you were the best qualified for a specific task. It was based on merit. In other words, Islam very much looks towards what's called a meritocracy, which is what you you do and what you're in charge with and what you are given, you know, given the duty of is based upon your merits, not based upon your age, not even based upon what you did in the past, like your CV of your glory of the past. Hmm. It's the here and now that we're interested in. In other words, what, what you can do now. Yeah, in this moment in time, you could have an amazing CV and um, pre-COVID, for example, like imagine you're a tech, tech um, genius. Your CV, um, you know, prior to the COVID um, situation, if you haven't managed to do an imprint during COVID when technology is a solution to so many different things, if I was, if I was hiring people, I would say, well, you're basically out of the picture. Because if you cannot demonstrate your capacity to change and lead and be a leader in an area when, at a time when technology is at the forefront of every single development, you know, in terms of buying, selling, in terms of education, in terms of, you know, everything, the thing you can think, everything is technologically driven now. If you can't prove that now, then that CV that you were some kind of genius at tech before COVID essentially is ripped up. And what I look at is the people that have managed to leverage their abilities in the COVID period to say that now these are the people that are um, the new pe- new kids on the block. Okay, good. Alhamdulillah. No, do you understand? So, yeah, yeah. you know, past glories, I think the Muslim community relies on past glories. And my conviction is the Prophet never relied on past glories. It's from my reading of the Seerah of the Prophet If you had proven yourself a hundred times with the Prophet you would still have to prove yourself another time. There's a very small group of people and very small group of instances in which that wasn't the case, like the Battle of Badr. And you have the Prophet saying to the people of Badr, do as you wish, for for it may well be that God looks upon you and has said, I've forgiven you. Because, you know, some of the, the people of Badr fell into wrong actions after Badr. And the Prophet was, was, was um, alerted to that. And when he was, when he, past judgment, he said, maybe, you know, these people, because they're past this one event that they took part in, which is the Battle of Badr, God has forgiven them. But that was a rare thing, that was an exception. You know, this is why, you know, Abu Bakr was in that army that had to go to Syria with Osama bin Zayd, the young man. Umar was there as well. Uthman, they were, Sayyidina Ali, they were all under under the command of Osama bin Zayd because their greatness and their, and their, their achievements were in the past, not in the future. And so what you're told to do is look at the present. And if you do not deliver in the present, you're, you're, as they say nowadays, you know, they, they do this in, you know, movies. You know, you always hear about, you know, um, film stars that become, you know, as good as their last movie. And they're just like now completely forgotten. It's like you have to constantly produce and constantly yeah. remain relevant. But yeah, deliver. You have to deliver. But that's not the point in this story, the story of Prophet Dawood and Suleiman In that story, it is this this idea of privilege from one perspective does not give privilege from all perspectives. The privilege of being a father, the privilege of being an elder, 
there are two privileges, pr privilege of being a prophet. Two, three, one of those three are held by Suleiman or are shared by Suleiman. The other two are held by Dawood. And despite that, the knowledge, understanding, deep, um, you know, maybe you could say it is um, a changing of guards because, you know, the prophet Dawood was the first statesman. He was the first um, um, king prophet of that type. And you know, like the you know the, the, you know the royal family in the UK. Yeah. Hmm. There's this whole talk about um, reinventing, staying relevant. Yeah. And, and the way that you could deal with things in the past, because of the way that people have changed, can no longer be the way that they will continue in the future. There's also this kind of um, it's not the same thing, but it's, there's this kind of thread within this story that. You know, the judgment, judgment of Dawood was a very harsh judgment, if you think about it. Mm. So this person has sheep. He, t he, he, refuses, he doesn't really take care of them. They flood into a neighbor's um, farm, destroy oh. all the crops. Two people come, because obviously you can imagine the farmer who's, whose crops been destroyed is, may have barricaded the, the, the other person's sheep in his own farm now. And they've argued and they came to Dawood. When he found out, he said... Keep them; they're yours. It's a very harsh. It's a very harsh judgment because it could well have been that he just took his eye off it, or he just was slightly um, lax in taking care of his sheep, and they all just destroyed this farm, and the crop crops were totally decimated. Yes, he, he had a culpability, but to what degree? You know, the harsher judgment, which is usually earlier in history, the harsher judgment in, in Islamic law and and legal system generally are harsher in the past and in the future, or in, 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 in ongoing times. The judgment of Prophet Dawood was more authoritarian. It was much harsher. And Suleiman comes and he says, look, I think the time may be that, you know, we've gone through those hard, harsh rulings. Now maybe it's time to say, okay, okay, keep the sheep. They're not yours. You can take the milk. And when the time for shearing comes, you can take the wool and you keep the wool. But when that's finished and the crops come back to their strength and you can you can actually um, you know harvest them, give the sheep sheep back to the person who, who they belong to because they don't want too much damage to the other side as well. And so there's also this idea in the story of gradation, which I think I talked about at some point in this yep. in this month. I don't know what where which point I was talking about it, but this idea of gradation, um, you need to remind me when it was it was talk I was talking about gradation at some point in, in this chapter. Um, so this indicates a gradation. I'm trying to think actually where I talked about that. Um, no, it was, it, it was um, how the Sharia or how the the hook. The Prophet Ibrahim his gradation of moving from, you know, addressing polytheism in his mind and his heart, just and then warning, by yeah. speaking it, and then by actually chopping, chop the chop the, the daruj, yeah. Tadarruj. So Tadarruj is, is one thing and it's also this idea of um, nasq, which is this idea of abrogation, this kind of idea that rulings were applicable in the past are no longer applicable in the future because of a change in time, change in culture, change in people's dispositions. And um, I think this is what's going on here in terms of the, the story. So it's a teaching story from this idea of the fact that just because something was correct in the past does not mean it's, it remains correct, as correct in the future, if you see what I mean. 
that, that leads on to two very important other points. <clears throat> One, living in the glory uh, is is a hallmark of Muslims. L- look at Turkey, right? Um, all about Ottomans, <coughs> and the, the the new series coming out, Arturul and all, and also the the present um, um, political leadership is kind of relying on very subtly sometimes and sometimes very uh, overtly on the glory on the past and then there is this whole um, community which is intention with, with that kind of behavior and also in subcontinent you look at Persia uh, you know they, they're all kind of in awe with what was the empire the Muslim empire in different worlds, different parts of the world. Uh, we, we over here had Mughals and then there is the Iranians, they had something, the Egyptians had something. That, that's one. And how, 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 how come that this has been entrenched in the Ummah of the Prophet that they always look back at the, at the glory. And even as, as people who are, people who are practicing, so to say, so to speak, they also rely on the stories of Sahaba, and uh, you know a few stories of their valor, of their um, expeditions, of their combats, which are more of a highlight in Muslim history. Hmm. So, how come that's such a big, rich tradition that we have? How come it's such a rich tra- tradition? Yeah, um, because th- th- that's what we, we grew up with. A normal Muslim grows up with these stories of the past and somehow gets fascinated with oh, only if we were how we are how we were. Mm-hmm. It's how we grew up. Mm. I mean, there's a couple of things going on there. First thing is there's nothing wrong with going back to the past. Like if you think of the Hellenistic, you know, societies and looking back at Homer and Achilles and the great battles of Battle of Troy and all these kind of things, the Iliad. So if you go back to antiquity, you're always looking back at great historic figures, that their names are etched in the annals of history to be forever mentioned. You know, those kind of things are part and parcel of what people make, what makes us human, that we look back we don't look forward to see who is a heroic heroic figure. You have to look back to see who is heroic, who is worthy of emulation, who is worthy of inspiring us. Um, so, you know, a Scots, uh, I don't know if you count yourself as a Scot, but, you know, the Battle of Bannockburn and um, William Just Wallace and, and all of these things to entice us to, to vote in the election as well. You know, those kind of things oh, yeah. come up. So you have this idea of the past and the glory of the past, which sometimes is... You know, looked at with what they call rose-tinted glasses, and um, it's part and parcel of human the human nature to look for guidance in times of difficulty and valor in times of you know fear. So there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's part and parcel of human societies, and especially if, and that's just a human society's perspective. If you take it from another perspective, which is um, a religious perspective, the Prophet very clearly said that that the best community is my community, then those that follow, then that, that those that follow, after which there will be um, a spread of, um, you know, um, untruths, lies. Yeah. 
And so we, we have this um, idea in, in our history as well, which is different from modern, modern history, which is a linear idea of history that we're progressing into a better time. We have in our history a, a, not an idea that we the, the, the past was better in all senses. What we're saying is uh, the closer you come to the Prophet, the, the, the more you have access to that, that t- timeless world wisdom. And so there is this kind of distance is, is from it, that light. But, but is it so? Uh, I mean, no, this is, I'm going to, uh, just going to uh, develop that yeah. because I'm, I'm okay. saying there's that. So there's the world history idea, which is, you know, we always look for heroes in the past. You can't look for them in the future. Then you've got this idea that in our religious tradition, closeness to the Prophet, in a sense, gives you a closeness to the people that best understood the message. That's another thing. But then it doesn't mean that you have to keep going back and further and further beyond the Prophet. In other words, once you know the first three generations go, then you're essentially left with people who we would say were, were probably more pious, you know, more simple in their in their. Not necessarily. I'm just saying it's it's you know, if you want to take a, a purely religious perspective, then you've got this golden generation of the Salaf. Mm-hmm. Okay, that kind of it's kind of etched within those kind of three generations. After that. Yes, the next people are closer, but it doesn't mean they're, they're necessarily going to be better than ourselves or worse than ourselves. Then you're left to assessing everybody based on their merit. And you can obviously say, well, there's, you know, there's five people between this teacher and the Prophet And if you look at today, there's 29 teachers or 30 or 40 teachers between me and the Prophet But then, again, you know, that's not re- relevant here. What you have is an idea of cyclic history, which is the fact that, you know, Good and evil turns, you know, takes turns, and then you have good society, you have bad societies. But there is a um, there's a problem which I think I'm you're, you're coming to, which is, um, and I think this is a new, fairly new thing, which is, you know, if you go to a mosque and you hear a khutbah, depending on what type of inclination the imam has, hmm. um, you'll have a war story about something, and it will recall how. Somebody killed so many, so many people, and, the, and there was there was a thousand of these people, and there was a hundred thousand of these people, and this happened. And so, I think this is laziness. It's not nothing to do with anything else. Because remember, when you're talking about these things, it has to have a context. You know, if, if, if say for example, you know, during the First World War, Second World War, you know, in in Turkey, for example, and they're giving a khutbah, I don't want them to talk about the blessings of you know using the siwak. Just that, like. You know, just sure. before the Battle of Chankali, uh, and you know the the the, the, the Australian army coming to the shores of um, Turkey, I didn't expect the Imam to be speaking about the ben, you know, the, the Prophet I'm recommending you using a toothpick hmm. or what cleaning the teeth at time of war unless you wanted to eat people, you know, unless it was a kind of um, <laughs> a yeah. hidden sign to people to actually start eating their enemies, which I didn't think it yeah. would be. No. You would expect them to talk about Khalid bin Walid. You expect them to talk about the Battle of Yarmouk yeah. and the Battle of Qadisiya and you know the Prophet is striving and struggling and you know so there's a context to that kind of idea of the past for courage and valor. Mm-hmm. But if I if I'm walking into a mosque in the middle of I don't know which city, and then you're telling me about the valor of Khalid bin Walid and how he you know you know cut through an army like a hot 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 knife through butter. I'm looking around, thinking I'm going to walk into the into the, into this high street with this pre mark, and there's 
and there's um, Walmart and there's, you know, um, yeah. It's where's yeah. the <laughs> where's the relevance there? It's not. There's no relevance. It's a question of can you not be relevant to the people? And not saying that the, this is not part of what we should. What is part of our history, and it gives you a sense of valor. And I can see, you know, there's purposes to this kind of thing that people had principles. But beyond that, if you can't make the the, the most basic religious teachings relevant to people's lives, you've got a problem. It, mm. You know, you got if you can't make all these teachings that we have relevant to people's lives, then we, we do have a problem. Mm. And yeah, I think there is this idea of, um, you know, this is a recent, I would say, like a century old phenomena with the fall of the Khilafah and disenfranchisement and colonialism and imperialism coming into our lands where we reminisce over the glory of the past and you know yeah. but unfortunately the, the saying does go there's no point on, on crying over spilt milk um, you know you might want to preserve something or protect something but to be, to be honest the people that are plotting against you would yes would love that you did that just sit, sit and cry about what oh, you used to great. be like well, how you great? How great you were, and I'm sure that there's a the German Orientalist Sacht, I think it is. I'm sure he has a book on the glory that was Islam, the glory that was Islam, or somebody similar to him. You know, the glory that was and it was not anymore. It's a good book, but is this like this idea that they were great in the past, but not so great now? Yeah. And Muslims yeah. are now are saying, "Oh, we used to be so great." Hi, Miri Matmargi. You know, yeah, yeah. so uh, it's and, like, oh, and, and anything you see good. Uh, around the world, you, you, you tend to claim that it's all, all the good we things. Invented we invented it. We invented it. Yeah, because we did invent, to be honest, we did chew the first coffee beans. Yeah, um, 1,001 and, inventions. Um, yeah, so, I mean, yeah, absolutely. But, you know, the whole point here is that that those inventions and that culture came out of a, of a culture of curiosity. Yeah. You could say it came out, out of iqra. You could just say, you know, if you wanted to be use hyperbole and exaggeration, you would say, Iqra gave, gave rise to, you know, Dar al-Hikmah and, you know, all these amazing places of translation. It would be true because Rosenthal, who's again a very famous Orientalist, said that Islam was the first and only um, civilization based on education. That principally its whole purpose was to, um, you know, inspire people to be educated and literate. So, so, so one thing that we need to hold on to is critical thinking. That's you mean, what you're saying. I mean, uh, yeah. scholars, they're scholars and they're scholars. I mean, if I've got a library of many books. In that library, if I look at the shelves, there's, there's very few critical, in Islamic history, there's very few critical thinkers. If I'm stuck at a problem that I'm not getting the answer to, 90% of those books I will not, even open because I know that the authors will not attempt to touch those. There's 10% of the books from classical scholars that I know at least they will be very critical, critical not being negative. I mean, we use critical in terms of yeah. attacking. We're talking about principles. So I think critical thinking is not, I would use, I would say principle thinking. Um, and yeah, critical thinking is actually a good word as well. Meaning they're not worried about what fallout will come from their thinking. Like, Khalil Bakr al Arabi, Imam al Imam al Ghazali, you know Imam al Mazari, to a point Ibn Taymiyyah, those kind of scholars you expect something different. You expect they'll they'll the follow an argument 
they either box, but also they'll follow the argument to its natural conclusions. Hmm. And so those are the scholars that when you read them, you you really do not enjoy, but you actually benefit so much from their reading. So most scholars will copy, you know, for want of a better phrase, copy and paste previous discussions and shorten them, summarize them. That's what they did. Hashia. So at least they understood what they were summarizing. To summarize and to edit, you need to understand. So that's in and of itself a feat. But to take it, summarize it, and then to reassess it is, a, is, a, is, a, is, the, is the one of very, very few scholars in Islamic history, surprisingly, but it is of very, very few scholars. Um, and therefore, you know, there's that kind of thing of faham. So in, in, in this, these verses we're looking at for Fahamna Suleiman and we give a deep um, appreciation, understanding of that to the Prophet Suleiman So yes, that thing of looking to the past, it's all things being equal, it's, it's an, it is what, what we do. But there's also the priorities and prerogatives of the, of the present, which are as important, which is, you know, at this moment in time, what's correct, the correct thing to do? And what's interesting is the courage of the son to speak in front of the father, which obviously meant that the father allowed his son to speak in his presence, hmm. which again in and of itself is a, a great a pedagogical lesson for us all that our, the children of the prophets had the courage and the and the and the balance to be able to be able to speak in front of their, their parents when needed. That's courage. I mean, imagine you rule as as I do as a father of an iron fist. And then you won't get any benefit from your children at all because they'll never say anything. They'll never say anything. Never be able to give an opinion. Never be able to say, well, you could have done this, you could have done that. You know, that balance is very important. Mm -hmm. And so what you do, you just basically, you know, when the, when the Quran talks about when the, the female girl is asked for which crime she was buried. I do think when I read that verse, I do think as well, you know, part of it is to, part of killing somebody, a child is to repress their ability to think mm. by imp imposing your own thinking upon them and the limits of your own thinking. And what we did in the past is what we should do in the future. Because they're coming into a, a completely different civilization, different different history, different time from the time that we lived in. And just because we like something in the past doesn't mean it's always going to be the best thing for them in the future. Especially if you think about technology, I can't play a game. You know, computer games. I think the only computer game I ever played was um, Space Raiders or something. I mean, it's just like these kind of things that shot things. And I just got so bored when I was like seven or eight. I never played them again. So I expect people to live that life of not playing any games at all. But obviously, I'm not going to tell my children to play games. But I'm saying that I'm not going to say, okay, because I didn't do it, you shouldn't do it. Yeah. To understand that that's a that's a time that's gone. Sheikh, um, another thing that comes to mind in Surah Ambiya, I remember kind of going to university in London in nineties. There were several groups of uh, fer fervor and kind of uh, very charged up Muslim youth uh, in nineties. So there was a group. But they're still they're still they're still around. I mean, they're they're in the forties. <laughs> And they're creating yeah. mischief and el elsewhere, so they so, they've reinvented themselves. I know I know who they are. So they've kind of they gave up on their ideals of of what they were doing and realized it was pretty naive, 
and now they've you know woken up a bit and then now they're doing other stuff other other stuff so one of them they would walk into the mosque with shoes on right just to make a point <laughs> <laughs> and they would and they had like big boots on and if someone would say come on take your shoes off it's a mosque and the big lecture would fall. but there is a hadith in sahih bukhari in the prophet wore you know ni'al exactly yes yeah. So how did you so, how did you argue against the hadith of yeah. Bukhari, which is Sahih? That's exactly. There's Leave aside there. the fact that there will be mud and probably urine on their shoes from outside, which didn't happen yeah. in the past, yeah. because in, in, in Arabia, the sand absorbed, and the Prophet said, you know, that whatever is dried has become pure. You know, obviously they wouldn't they wouldn't know that, would they? They wouldn't know that in the UK you have pavements which 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 allow the water to remain at the top and the, and the filth and the urine, <laughs> if a small amount falls into it, according to all the scholars, according, as, as well as Ibn Hazm and you know all the Hadith scholars, it becomes impure. You have a small amount of that, it, it, it remains impure. I bet they didn't know about that. Yeah, yeah, but there, there's one Hadith. The, mind, so anyway, the so, mindset of these people is quite simple, straightforward, and prehistoric and... Um, simpletons. So, um, I was talking to one of the the imams of, uh, there was Shretham Mosque, yeah, South London. So, he just said, oh, Unko kaho ke Hazrat Musa nange the. You know, Hazrat Musa hmm. had no shoes on. And then there was another scholar in the same mosque. He said, Maulana, pichli shariat ka reference is shariat mein nahi diya ja sakta. Hmm. You know, so he, he, he uh, koi de. You know, give us hmm. uh, some, something else, not this. Yeah, I, I don't agree that they should have shoes on. Uh, because in that particular mosque, there was this big problem, you know, this kind of like, a dozen of them would come every Friday with the shoes on and they will insist they will stand in the front row. So, I mean, <laughs> people that are listening probably don't think this is true, but this is a, re- this is a reality. There's it people, is. There was people that used to come in with their boots, not just not just um, no, shoes. No, no, no. We're talking about like proper boots. Doc Martens <laughs> into the mosque, to the front row and pray. This is not, this is not a faulty terror sketch. This is and real. Yeah, and and they, they, they insist and they would provide the hadith from Prophet ﷺ in Sahil Bukhari, which is absolutely authentic, that there is permission to pray with your 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 foot gear, and so this Imam said, you know, tell them that the Prophet Moses, you know, walked barefoot, you know, alayk. The Quran says to him, remove your shoes, and the other scholar says you can't do that because the previous religious scriptures are not a religious scripture for ourselves. It gives a better proof. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, it's not the funny thing. Is not that the funny thing is the rebellion. It's that you know those people. If you look at them, yeah, they don't like their fathers. Guarantee, I've not met one of those people I've spoken to. They hate their fathers because they hate their upbringing. The the clothes that they wore were not the clothes that people normally wore. You know, if you, I mean, you can take a picture. I show you. I can take a picture now, and I could Google. These people hate where they came from. Hate the language. Hate the culture. Hate the cuisine. Every there's so many deep psychological scars that I, you know yeah. it's just. Knowing that these people had a lot of resentment from how for how they had been probably rightly so missed mistaught their religion as well, and all of a sudden they become Abu such and such, and you find this all the time. You know, I met somebody whose whose name was well known, you know, in our city, and I said, "How are you doing?" I gave him his name. He said, "No, I'm not this. I'm Abu such and such." I said, "All right, okay, but you know, we just like a couple of days ago, you were you were no, no, I've changed my name to Abu such and such, and so." The same person, like a year later, you know, he goes back to his old name, which is you know normal his parents' name, 
And I said, oh, Abu such and such. He goes, no, no, my name's um, this <laughs> name. Please, you guys, don't, don't you dare call me by that again. And I thought, hmm, okay, just text me before I, I meet you. Next time we rendezvous and I meet you in the street, just tell me that your name is not Abu such and such. And it's going back to what your father called you. And yeah. so, alhamdulillah, at least you've gone through some kind of psychoanalysis to be able to appreciate your father's naming of you with your own name. And so our, our, our community is, you know, there's a lot of trauma out there in our community amongst our young people, um, which comes in these kind of things. You know, they don't like the names, the, the culture, they just have a lot of resentment and they think that they have no access to the Quran and Sunnah directly from the Arabic. And unfortunately they don't. I mean, this is like five minutes into a conversation, it becomes clear that in their mind they think they're some kind of great authority in Islam, but after five minutes of speaking to them, they realize themselves that, okay, I need to just go back and check my notes again because I may have made, made you know, I may have got it wrong. The unfortunate thing is we're in a situation where, you know, our, our, our people, young people specifically, in that time, you know, they were disillusioned, especially London. I was there, I did a course in Arabic in 1989, yep, um, yep. 1990. In London, and I just remember meeting all these different groups. I was just fascinated by. I was. I wasn't fascinated. No, because I, I, was, I wasn't there for two months. I was in for two days. Farringdon. I was in Farringdon. I used to cycle a bit in my mountain bike from where I was in East London. And what was fascinating about the whole trip was well, three three months was meeting all these different people from all over the world with so many different views in that classroom. Our classroom was so funny because we had a teacher, Abu Muhammad Abu Layla. May Allah protect him. Suez? This was a, an Arabic course for, you know, um, um, Kalim Siddiqui. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, so, so, yeah, so he was there at the time. So they organized an Arabic course, which is a full-time Arabic course then. And it was fascinating. Our, our, our class was made up of so many different, extremely unlike each other class. Yeah. Yep. You had the most liberal, you had the most extreme. You had the political, you had the Sufi sitting in the corner doing dhikr without even listening to the teacher. You had the Hizbut Tahrir guy giving his leaflets out during the... And you had some Salafis, you had these Sufis, you had you had all sorts of people in that class. And I was sitting, I was watching and learning. Brother, yes, okay. Everybody had, you know, their own take on things. And so I've had to find out, okay, what's your... what's your um, what, you, what are you selling? So the Hizbut Tahrir ones were the best. Because I used to sit down with them and and understand, and they had the most amazing way of speaking, like business, you know, like almost like a car salesman. Um, the majority of them, basically, you know, once they got into real life, they realized that what they were saying was very shallow, um, and the most of them disappeared for about twenty years, and then they reappeared after that. So, the, the Sharia, of, the the question was the Sharia of previous Ambiya is not relevant and yet uh -huh. we have a full surah surah ambiya and the story after story how relevant it is for us what lessons is it the way of life are they the rulings for us or their stories to be inspired yeah so i mean the thing that thing about law is we don't we don't take legal opinions from the previous stories so the general general principle in islamic law that the previous religious traditions and laws are not applicable to ourselves and unless there's nothing in our legal system, in which case schools differ on whether we should come up with our own answer or whether we follow 
the previous scriptures, Imam Shafi's opinion, according to one of the opinions, is that you would. But anyway, you don't. You, so basically the moral principles are there. And this is why in this these these sections, it's moral issues that are being talked about. Hmm. We are not given even this L issue here. The details are not given in, in any any detail at all. Like the story Life of Suleiman and Daoud, it's just the interaction between a father and a son, two prophets. From one perspective, father and son, another perspective, two prophets at the same time. Um, and the fact that if one being more correct than the other does not mean the other one is incorrect, meaning wrong, because each of them we've given you know hukm and ma'ilma, we've given them you know the power of judgment and knowledge. And so you're left with the fact that you can have a right answer and a and a more right answer. You know, so that black and white dichotomy that even Muslims are in, in the in, in the face of now, you know, people say it's either halal or haram. You know, so they need to know it's halal or haram. When you say, well, there's difference of opinion or like there's different opinions or you can say, well, we're not sure. People get agitated and think, what do you mean we're not sure? Because we're not sure because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not provided enough clues for the investigators or fiqh to find out what the right answer is. Therefore, it's unknown. And so, إِنَّ الْحَلَالَ بَيْنُ وَإِنَّ الْحَرَامَ بَيْنُ وَبَيْنَهُمَا أُمُرٌ مُشْتَبِحَاتٌ لَا يَعْرِفُهُنَّ كَثِيرٌ مِنَ النَّاسِ Like the Prophet said, you know, halal is clear, haram is clear. And, and between them are things that are uh, unclear, which most people do not know. And the Prophet, in the end, he said, you know, the person said, how will you know? He said, إِسْتَفْتِي قَلْبَكْ You know, Consult yourself, consult your heart. What do you feel better doing? So a lot of times people email me or something and then they ask for advice and they give me all the proofs for all the for and against and they say, what do you advise? And I basically say, look, you just advise yourself. You, you're obviously not happy with one option. Both options are not clearly halal and haram. Therefore, do the option that you feel justified in the day of judgment standing in front of Allah saying, this is what I chose. And don't think, okay, such and such a person told me to do this. You know, you know, live your life as as, as a moral life, and, that, and inshallah, everything is everything else fits in place. So, Sheikh, uh, concluding today's conversation with the last two ayahs, uh, if we have time for that, wa ayuba is nada rabbuhu anni masani dhurru wa anta arhamur rahimin. Hmm. And then it, it goes on to Fasajab. Fasajab. Yeah, so this is the story of Ayub So this is a fascinating story because he, if you simplify what's happening here, Ayub has been blessed with so many blessings that, you know, it's almost like the shaitan, and in fact, narrations do mention that the shaitan says that he's only worshipping you because he's been given everything. You know, if you're given family, wealth, spouse, bees, health, everything is like, you know, living in the Mediterranean on the coast with everything provided. He's only worshipping you because everything's going his way. Mm. And the shaitan says, give me permission to test him. And Allah says, I will inflict, uh, afflict him with an illness that will test his patience. And even in that situation, you'll be unable to, to shatter him, to mm. tempt him. And in fact, if you go to, and, and then what happens is the shaitan does try that, you know, he's basically saying, look, how, you know, the God that you worship now is look at the, look at the state he's left you in. And so this is, brings us to an interesting, just uh, it's almost like a, um, the word is kind of almost like a, a parable here. So like a, a universal lesson, a universal archetype of a person 
who you see worshipping and being obedient to God. And then what comes to mind is they're only like that because everything has gone their way. No difficulties, no tests. If they had a test, would they still be the same? Allah shows that certain people, it doesn't matter whether in difficulty or ease, the connection to God, in fact, becomes stronger in difficulty than in ease. So you could have a person that in ease worships and in difficulty stops. Or you have a person that in difficulty stops, but in ease starts worshipping. You have all the con the permutations that you this can have, but the, the Prophet Ayub... Very, very difficult to kind of remain the same in both conditions, though. You, you, exactly. So you have all the permutations. So it's not saying to remain the same. It's probably with the Prophet Ayub, you would say it deepens. So if you were to ask me, like the Prophet Ayub, when he was worshipping God in health, was it, was it deeper than when he, when he worshipped God in, in illness? It was much more deeper when he worshipped in illness. Because it's almost as if there's two things happening here. The shaitan is being told, you know, get your hands off our servants because they are much more attached to my worship, meaning God, than you think that's happening. And there's also a personal story for Ayub saying that your proximity to Allah in ease is only scratching the surface of how close you can come to Allah because for you in difficulty, you'll, you'll taste uh, proximity and, and pleasure of calling upon Allah in need, which you cannot compare to making dua to Allah in ease. So, so imagine just, when you're on your knees, see, when you're yeah. on your knees, the dua is a, usually a proper dua. It's like, is a need and it's a, it's a conversation. Whereas in, in ease, it's just, when he when the Prophet Ayyub you know is in this situation, is nada rabbahu. Nada means to call out, to really pour your heart out. That what has afflicted me and touched me is Lord, which is deep, deep harm. And this is the case, and you're the most, you know, the most merciful of merciful ones. He didn't say, um, relieve me, he didn't say, Allah, um, you know, masni you know, grant me, grant me, um, you know, you know, a cure. What does he say? You're the most compassionate of compassionate ones. And now there, there it's like, okay, well, if you know, you can imagine Allah would say, well, what do you want then? Hmm. Like, if you want, if you're reflected by this difficulty, Allah, like this has happened, give me, give me something in return. So you've lost your house. Allah, give me a house in return. Okay, fine. There's a house. Allah, I've lost a house and you're the best of protectors. So what do you want? Just protect me. In, in whichever way you want, protect me. And here he's saying, you know, I'm in this difficulty and this affliction of illness. And, you know, I don't want to go into the description of the illness, but the description is one of, you know, a type of illness where, it is constant, not deep pain, it is constant agitation and, um, you know, it's the kind of illness that preoccupies the mind constantly. Mm. Not like a dull pain, it's like the skin. So it's the thing that you feel and other people see it as well. And so you can obviously see the fact that people are going to go to him and say, you, you were the one that worshipped God and God has now left you to rot. So people are seeing it as well. And it's almost as if his whole previous life has been proven to be 
you know, in vain. You know, he used to call people to worship. And what does he do? He just says, well, this is this difficulty is touching me and afflicting me. You're the most merciful of merciful, merciful people. You know, do what you want, but mercy, manifest it in the way that you want it. When Allah says, and we, and in Arabic it means instantly. But what we know is it didn't happen instantly. It continued for a long period of time. And we removed what was afflicting him in terms of illness. And we gave him and granted him and his spouse or his family um, whatever they had they had missed. And this is what's interesting. His, his wealth went, his health went, everything went. Everything was replaced with better. And this is mentioned as the Quran as being you know, this is like a reminder for people that are, are constant in worship. In other words, he was constant in worship. He didn't falter and fall fall down when he stopped giving, being given the ease that Allah had, had given him in his previous life. This should be a reminder to everybody that worships Allah that it's not a trade mission that you go to God with your, you know, hundred raka'at in the expectation that you get, you know, a relative amount of ease. It's not like a health, you know, it's like health insurance. I'll do Allah, I'll do Taraweeh today and then tomorrow I'll do my fard five prayers and I'll do the sunan as well. And for that I want like minimum health insurance. You know, I don't want to get too ill. And perhaps a cold, a flu. If I get COVID, I just want to have like a mild symptoms. And you tick off everything and that's the kind of contract you have with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. No, this is a dhikra lil'abideen, meaning it's a reminder to people that worship that it's not a contract. You know, God is has made you in this life as, you know, placed you here as a test. We'll test you with the ease and the happiness and then the taking with the ease, the ease and the happiness. Because this world is a, a testing place for you and your family. Um, and this is interesting about this story as well. It's a family. It's a family situation as well. That is, it's it's not just him in isolation that's being tested. And he it's his abandoned. wife as well, abandoned. You know, shunned by his his people. His wife, you know, is made to instigate. And this feeling this of whole, guilt. Uh, some, yeah. This feeling of guilt at some point, uh, some sometimes, or um, maybe some personal experiences as well. And once you are stuck in a situation once you are kind of contrived and you don't seem there is a way out you feel embarrassed that you must have done something to an extent that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is punishing you to a degree that you don't see a way out but this ayah is contrary to that yeah you must have done something to deserve it yes yes this is this is um this is the whole thing. People always, depending on where you are in your your station with Allah, one of the things that comes to people's mind is there must have been something we did to deserve it. Mm. So, you know, it's like the Pet Shop Boys had a song when I was young. What what have I done to deserve this? So, you know, that was like a, a rubbish, completely rubbish song. But it sticks in the mind because popular culture was everywhere at the time. So what have I done to deserve this? Nothing. Why? Because... You only find it after you've responded to it if you deserved it or not. So imagine you 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 brought down to your knees in the next year. Yeah. Did you deserve it? Well, it depends what you did afterwards. So what do you do? Did you start giving more charity? Do you become more obedient to Allah? Do you come closer to Him? Okay, that's a good sign. It means it wasn't because of what you did in the past. God just wanted you to come closer to Him. And isn't that the purpose? Isn't the purpose of your life? We have cre- we're not created jinn and human beings except to worship, to know, 
And when you worship, you come to know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if you come to the point that you, like Sheikh Abdul Qadir Jilani said that, you know, that I derive more pleasure out of the, the difficulties I, I experience from God than, than the ease, you're a person that actually waits for that difficulty because it means that God wants to hear your voice. And this is why, you know, in some of the narrations, you know, you know, people are afflicted by by pain or or, or difficulties and, and and you know heart wrenching you know experiences. There you know there's there's narrations about the fact that Allah says you know the angels say should we cure or we should should we alleviate this difficulty? Allah says no because I love to hear the servant's voice. So that you know you know just the pain that 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 voice. Of, of the pain of a person because they're so beloved to God is so beloved to God that God extends that. We have a difficulty understanding that. And there's people that when they call to Allah in difficulty, Allah says, relieve that person's pain because I hate to hear that person's voice. Allah So what comes to mind is how is that how is that possible? It's possible because you know when we think about our lives and we think about the the good and good and bad that happens in our, in our lives um, you, you cannot make sense of those on earth regardless of if you're atheist or not um, a believer or not it doesn't make any difference unless you understand the whole purpose of existence itself so even if you're an atheist th that all has a purpose which is to allow you to understand that that contrasts with ease and and and, and health and and um, you know why do you have doctors but doctors recognize you know, illnesses from health so if you didn't have illnesses, you would never understand health. If you just had health, you wouldn't understand the benefit of health. If you didn't, if you didn't have that, you wouldn't die. So, you know, this we we are very arrogant as a, as a species to think that we are we deserve and and um, demand the way that the, the way that we want the world to work to work in that so, way. So nothing is an earned right. Nothing is rightful. It is mercy. This is, I mean, from one perspective, um, nobody, you know, gains God's pleasure purely on their actions, purely by the actions that they do. It's, it's narrated by many hadith as well. The Prophet saying that none of you enters paradise based on their actions. And so, you know, what you're told is, okay, do your actions, but your intention is, is important as well. But within that is also your reaction to how God tests you with things that are outside your um your your control so we have you know the last 10 days of ramadan so many things in our control when to get up what to eat what to do certain things are not you can have a situation in ramadan which you didn't plan for and that is again a test and that test then is, is a test to see what kind of person you are and so you know people will talk about ramadan last 10 days what should we do pray read quran do dua Guess what? There's people that need your help. You know, people in your family might need your help. You know, all those are they not worship? Are they not acts of goodness in the month of Ramadan? Are they not things that you could do in the nights of Ramadan? You know, that you know, you can like saying that Abu Bakr when he was, you know, the Prophet said, Which of you has woken up this morning? Who which of you has um, you know prepared a janazah this morning? Abu Bakr said, I have. Which of you woke up fasting? Abu Bakr said, I have. Which of you woke up this morning having given charity? Abu Bakr said, I have. And all the companions kept looking back at him, thinking, you know, hold on, because 
left nothing for us. And the point is, that was a Fajr prayer. You think about it. That's Fajr. The Prophet turned around and said, which of you has, has prepared a janazah this morning? Abu Bakr had been out, having known about the death of somebody in the, in the evening, had helped to prepare the janazah. I was fasting and had given charity. And so we always think, well, you know, the night's for tahajjud and all the rest of it. No, the night's for, you know, if you have... Sir, service. Service. Whatever it is, just make it a main difference. You know, so everybody has a, serv- a type, of, type of service that only they can give. You know. After this ayah, what you by Nada, there's only two minutes to iftar today. And uh, yeah, what comes to mind is Prophet Sallam's name, Shafin, healer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the opposite of this illness. And he was a healer. He was Shafin, alayhi salatu wasalam. Yeah, I mean, the, I mean, the thing about فَكَشَفْنَا مَا بِهِ مِنْ So, you know, the, the verse here is very clearly states this idea of alleviating or kashafna is like this unveiling of something. مَا بِهِ مِنْ Actually, it's quite interesting because it doesn't mean he removed. It's almost like one reading would be that he unveiled what the essence of the pain was. You know, so once you know, in like, you know, psychoanalysts and they go through these kind of things, they go back to the, the, the childhood trauma that led to the difficulty. Once they realize, once they're shown what that is, it just disappears because they realize it and they deal, deal with it. And so in this kind of situation, it's very, very similar. to Shifa is always to get down to the bottom of where the problem is. And with the Prophet you see that he's interested in the person. Like the great physicians were always interested in the person, not the, not the disease. So they would say, how are you doing today? How's your family? You know, you know, they would take the whole person. And the Prophet used to take the whole person. He would take the person and their children and their family and take an interest in them. And, you know, Shafin is not just to cure, it's, it's to have a whole holistic understanding of a person's well-being and then to deal with it on that basis. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala Muhammad wa barik wa sallim. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Assalamu alaikum.